to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. One thing I learned, you can't wing the exam. So that's the first <laughs> wake-up call. Don't wing the exam. Get a review course. <laughs> Get a review course. That's what I tell students, and then I tell them how I failed it, and they're like, what? You were the chairman of AICPA, and you failed the exam? Hello everyone, I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Kimberly Ellison Taylor. Yes, the Kimberly Ellison Taylor that was most recently the chair for the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, or AICPA. I was very honored that Kimberly chose to spend her time with us. In addition to her work with accounting associations, She's a global strategy director with Oracle as well. So as you can imagine, she's a little busy. We had a great conversation though, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. Obviously, if you've ever considered getting more involved in the profession itself from a volunteer standpoint, this will be a great episode. But we actually spend the majority of the time talking about the role of technology in our profession and where that's headed in the future. It truly was a very worthwhile conversation. I have difficulty on occasion keeping up with some of our guests and Kimberly was definitely one of those. This interview is absolutely packed with insight. If you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online as well. You can find us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career-focused materials there. We have books, blogs, and of course, other podcasts. Plus, we have even a few tools for employers as well. Once again, that site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Kimberly Ellison Taylor. Well, hello, Kimberly. Thank you for making the time for the show today. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Mark. No problem. Well, for the audience, we have Kimberly Ellison Taylor on the line today. And you may recognize Kimberly's name for many reasons, but one is that she is the most recent past chair of AICPA. And I'm really honored that she's going to share her story with us. Kimberly, in addition to the AICPA involvement, though, I wanted to get you on the show because I know you're uniquely qualified to talk about how technology and accounting are so intertwined these days and hopefully, you know, sort of give us a glimpse of what the future may hold from that perspective as well. And I'd like to hear about the AICPA involvement, as I'm sure many that are involved at the state level and local levels are as well. But I definitely want to include all of that. Before we get to that, though, let's start at the beginning, like I do with most of our guests. What initially led you to consider that you know accounting may be a good career choice in the first place? Thank you, Mark, for asking that question. And so my story is probably a little bit, I would say, kind of interesting because it's a windy road. So in the third grade, and I grew up in the inner city of Baltimore, 
someone came to my elementary school because there's always a program that really wants to help kids in inner city identify what they want to be when they grow up. And so the earlier you can get in, the earlier you have of an opportunity to keep those kids on the right track. And so I listened to everything intently. You can imagine an eight-year-old listening to what the speaker is saying. And they went through all of the usual suspects, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer. I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. And then they said, and you could be a CPA. And then they talked about how a CPA manages the money. And I can tell you, now this might date me a little bit, but back then we had three channels, like ABC, NBC, and CBS. Without a remote control, with the television that had the aluminum foil because there was the antenna on it, that kind of television. And we had one in the house. And all I could think about when they said that CPAs and accountants manage the money is that, oh my gosh, I am going to one, get a TV first in every room. And two, I'm going to have a dishwasher because I was a dishwasher along with my sisters. And so that was what I was thinking about the opportunities. And so I was very fortunate to know that's what I wanted to do. So I took accounting in high school. So I'm a huge fan of creating preference and awareness of our amazing profession as early as we can and not just waiting until we get to college because my mind was sick. And I can't tell you how many people would come to me and say, oh, don't you want to be a doctor? Because I was getting really good grades. I mean, even my mom was like, be a doctor. And I was like, mom, I don't even like blood. I don't want to be a doctor. I want to be a CPA. And so having went to a school where I had the opportunity to take accounting classes, I graduated valedictorian from my high school and went to school at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County on a full academic scholarship. Now, I didn't ask evidently the right questions because what I asked was, can I be a CPA if I come here? And they said, sure, you can be a CPA if you come here. What I didn't realize, Mark, is that they meant through economics and no offense to the outstanding field of economics, but I didn't want to necessarily go that path. So I said, well, tell me what my other options are. And they said information systems. And I just said, okay, I could take this path. Computers might be interesting one day. Now, keep in mind, this was of the era where a word processor was probably as big as a rounder for eight people to sit at. And I said, sure, this might be interesting. And so I majored in information systems management with a technical writing minor. I took all of the classes that they had to offer at UMBC, knowing that my plan was to go ahead and go back and finish up the remaining classes. And so that's exactly what I did. I took all the classes I could take. I then got my MBA. And then Mark went back to school for two years to go to a community college while I was there, got a certificate in accounting. And so I've kind of walked this fine line between technology and accounting from the very beginning. But going into technology was almost like a, I would say, a, a path that was kind of winding that I did not expect, but I think it worked out so well. So it's been a great experience for me. That is so interesting. Trained in technology, but with the heart of an accountant, you know? That, yeah. That is intriguing. 
just for the record, my parents had the TV with the foil rabbit because they could get the bed. And, and you know, when you're the kid, you have to go arrange them. You know, that was my job to see if get the best reception. <laughs> Thank goodness for that disruption. I was very, I mean, my dad would call me from two rooms over and I would get there huffing and puffing because I'm hurrying trying to see what he needs. And he's like, oh, can you turn the television? <laughs> like, I think everybody's had that experience. So needless to say, that definitely framed what I wanted to do growing up where I grew up in the inner city. So kind of interesting. That is interesting. So when your career started, did you initially work primarily or entirely in the IT field or how has accounting intertwined in your career path over the years? That's an excellent question. And one I think we don't put enough premium on, and that's with regard to the competencies and learning that we get as a CPA. And I always get asked, like, what was my most influential class? What helped me the most? And although it is very difficult, (laughs) I would definitely say cost accounting, because in my career, even working in technology, where I was at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, uh, responsible for the contractors that oversaw the mainframe data center, we have questions about spending and costs and efficiency and how effective we are as it relates to service delivery, key performance indicators. So those questions, the ability to look at numbers, ask probing questions, to ask why, to be able to storytell and make recommendations, I think really are based on my experiences as being a CPA. And so it's really helped me in my career and differentiated me, even as I've worked in technology organizations, because the competencies and learning that we get and our commitment to lifelong learning is what will always move us, I believe, to the front of the line. Take us through your career a little bit, because I know you're at Oracle now, and (laughs) you have a big... You're like, how in the world did I get there? (laughs) Okay, so that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I was a co-op at NASA. So I worked at NASA, amazing opportunity to be around the smartest people you could imagine. So working in help desk, working as a systems analyst working in data management, working in an integrated financial management project that was for all of NASA. And I was on the team that represented Goddard. And so lots of responsibility and lots of opportunity to grow. And I would also say people who were very supportive of my desire to be in accounting and very supportive of my always asking why. Why do we do it this way? Why does that make sense? And when I left NASA, I went to Motorola where I was a systems integration program manager working in the U.S. Federal Markets Division on two-way radio communication systems. Very interesting work. Had the opportunity to go into the Federal Bureau of Prisons, worked on the DOD project. At that time, it was immigration and naturalization, working on projects for them, working on Y2K remediation projects. And when you're a program manager with responsibility for your project and the P&L, which is the profit and loss, you're responsible for how much you bid, how much you receive as far as the revenue expenditures, and also how much you pay out. So you have a responsibility to keep track of the cost. And so having a financial background is very important because you understand that all the calls you make, all the driving that you do, the hotels you stay, the food you eat. Everything that you do, the disposition of how you get the contract out the door, 
all of that has an impact on the profit and loss. And without an understanding of cost accounting, you don't understand that you have overhead costs and you have costs that have to be allocated and they're allocated to your project. And so I believe that being a CPA is a foundational element of being a leader and the leader that I've been because it's always helped me ensure that my projects are on time, on schedule, and on budget. And so after I left Motorola, I was not a CPA at that time still. So I'm a non-traditional CPA because I was taking the classes along the way, along this entire way. And I was at Motorola when I had this huge wake-up call, Mark. And I think the wake-up call happened because I failed the CPA exam. Oh my gosh. Failed the exam. And I can tell you when people ask me, what was like one of your disappointments in life? And what did you do? Now, I already said I graduated valedictorian. I'm pretty used to being an A student. Things that I wanted to do, I always really did. So one thing I learned, you can't wing the exam. So that's that's the first (laughs) wake up call. Don't wing the exam. Get a review course. (laughs) Get a review course. That's what I tell students. And then I tell them how I failed it. And they're like, what? You were the chairman of AICPA and you failed the exam? Yes. I didn't even get on board. That's how bad it was. It was terrible. But I learned so much from that opportunity. And I call it an opportunity because it really doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It only really matters how many times you get up. And so I had to make some really hard decisions. I ended up leaving Motorola. I went to KPMG. I got a review course. I decided that I needed to make some course corrections, some community service activities, because I'm heavily committed to community service, but I needed to back out of it for a little bit until I could pass the exam. And so I failed the exam in February and passed it in November. So that's how quickly I made some key decisions. And that's what I like to, when I speak to our next generation of leaders, and I say to them, it's okay to make a mistake and to be disappointed. But you can't let it get you down. But what you can do is figure out how do you get back on board. And so I started paying attention to people with past exam, listening to their stories, listening to the lessons learned and best practices, mentorship at its finest, and understood that having the experience of people who've been through it helped reinforce my desire to be a CPA was really, really important to me. And so when I went to KPMG after Motorola was a great opportunity to be in an environment that reinforced that desire. And of course, everyone knew back then if you passed the exam or not. It's a little bit different now, but I remember being on an engagement mark where one of my colleagues or someone else called me to say, Kimberly, you passed the exam. I'm thinking they told me before I got the letter. Someone actually <laughs> called me because my name showed up on the website, I guess, before our privacy laws. Your name would show up if you pass the exam. And I started crying, like burst into tears. So, so happy that I passed the exam. And so had a wonderful career at KPMG. I worked in advisory services, had a great opportunity to work with the financial audit team, the IT audit team, and bringing my love of both of those two aspects together. And when I left KPMG, it was only because I had an opportunity to be a chief information technology officer. And so as a CITO, you're talking about the responsibility for mainframe applications. You're talking about an opportunity to work across health and human services, 
across the administrative functions like law and office of management and budget, finance, and also at the same time across all of the public safety functions. So that's the executive and then the legislative branch of government and judicial branch of government. So lots of responsibility, lots of visibility, asking key questions around vendor costs, asking key questions around budgeting, forecasting, those things that you get from being a CPA. And so to me, it's been a huge, huge, huge aspect of my career. And when I left being a CITO, I came to Oracle. And so I've led a global practice at Oracle, which was our health and human services and labor practice globally. And that was also another opportunity to look at pipeline, look at conversion, look at deals, look at opportunities to position ourselves in the marketplace, to be a media spokesperson, to look at how to create a solution based on changing trends in the marketplace. Again, an opportunity to have credibility and really demonstrate my achievements with my customers and partners, which then gives you, I believe, the opportunity to open more doors and have more people listen to you. Because I truly believe you can't compete where you don't compare. And so I kind of addicted to making sure that I'm on top of the changing trends and making sure that I'm leveraging my financial acumen as well as my technology background. That's one of the things I find interesting is you've been at Oracle for many years now and still, you know, very much in the technology space, but it's during this time that you've become so much more, or maybe you were very involved at the time, but you've held several prominent positions in the accounting profession, you know, at the state society and obviously with the AICPA as well. So you continue to be a mover and shaker in the accounting profession. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because it's interesting because I also in the technology world learned to program. And I think the, the methodical thinking that goes into programming is also the same kind of methodical thinking that goes into how we process and analyze transactions and how we assimilate data. So to me, I see the similarities very clearly. And so, yes, I have an undergraduate degree in information systems with a technical writing minor, with an MBA, with an accounting certificate, with a chief information officer certificate from Carnegie Mellon, with a master of science in IT from Carnegie Mellon, I'm a certified information systems auditor, and I have no doubt that I'll go on to get something in cybersecurity or big data because those are very, very important. But when I passed the exam, I promised myself that I would stay connected to make sure that I was feeding both of my heart's desires. And so I was getting the technology at work, but I was in the evening getting my accounting fix staying abreast of what's happening in auditing and tax and advisory and advocacy in general by volunteering with the Maryland Association of CPAs, where I was a member of our new young professionals group. And when I aged out of that group, because we couldn't raise the age anymore, <laughs> they were like, Kimberly, we can't raise the age anymore. But during the new young professionals group, it, it was an opportunity to get I would say mentorship, to speak, to go into high schools, to go into colleges, to work on various committees with the most senior and amazing leaders in our profession. And so I got on the board of MACPA and then moved through the career track of 
being the secretary treasurer, vice chair, chair, then past chair, then had the opportunity to work on the executive, at that time, business and industry committee, and then had the opportunity to be on the board of the AICPA and having served on AICPA board to then have the opportunity to go through its leadership train, which would go from vice chairman and then getting elected and to chairman. And so that's been an awesome journey, but I'm always willing to roll up my sleeves to talk to members, to talk about audit and audit quality and peer review and the things that our auditing colleagues care about. And then, of course, in our tax practitioners, when tax reform was being talked about and working with our team as we determine what would be the best positions for our various members across the world, there are committees that AICPA has. There are 2,000, 2,000 volunteers, probably more than that, that are willing to lend their time and talent to ensuring that we are taking very specific positions that benefit the public more importantly, and also, I would say, to our members secondarily. So it's been amazing to just have my arms around the profession. So imagine when I became the chairman, Mark, and they said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, okay, I understand. We still have to talk about audit quality. We still have to talk about making sure small firms feel like they have a seat at the table and that we hear their voice and the unique challenges of being a small, medium-sized firm. We understand that large firms have different challenges and things that they're concerned about, that our tax practitioners are facing a lot of challenges and competition in the marketplace. And certainly identity theft seems to be targeting them very specifically. So we got to watch out for that. And of course, with all the tax reform and the discussions that have been underway for quite some time and tax on services that seems to be coming up in state environments. And then from an advisory services perspective with cybersecurity and talking about big data and analytics, opportunities for new growth and pipelines, which everyone cares about, and diversity and inclusion. Kimberly, what are, so you got to keep all of that. What would make you really excited? And I said, talking about technology and next generation leadership. I want to talk about the role that technology plays in our everyday environment, which I think is huge with AI and machine learning and Internet of Things and big data, cybersecurity, cloud and virtual reality, augmented reality, but also talking about how we prepare our next generation of leaders to for their seat at the executive table and also to make sure that as we are looking around corners that we're anticipating what they want and what they expect so that they want to be in our profession, that they see accounting as a viable option for them, that they stay in the profession and move through the various segments, whether or not they're a managing partner, managing director, whether they decide they're going to be a CEO, or they want to be a dean of a college, they want to be a government leader, whether elected or appointed, or work in the government, a not-for-profit executive director, whether or not they want to do consulting, or whether or not they just decide that we want to work in business and industry as a CFO. There's so many options in our profession, and it's been my pleasure to talk about what those are. From the technology perspective, you gave me a lot to think about there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I oh get really, God. really excited, Mark. Yes. Thank you. As I mentioned before in our pre-show discussion, a large part of our audience, not all, but a large part of our audience comes from the demographic of 
you know, maybe a junior in college, senior to the first three or four years in their career. If I'm in that space and I want to prepare to have a long-term career in accounting, and obviously, I just like everyone else, I want to continue to move up and I want to do well for my family and you know, just have a prosperous career, what should I be working on? What self-education should I be doing or what should I be seeking out? What should I learn more about? That's a great question. And I think what I would do is one, make sure I'm connected to my state society, because I think that's really, really important as a foundation. And I can't tell you enough how much the Maryland Association of CPAs really helped me on my career journey, because you need to be anchored where you live. The AICPA provides a phenomenal oversight role at the national level. But where you live and work, it's also equally important to be connected there as well, to get the mentorship, to get coaching, and to get sponsors right on the ground and work in your community. And I think that's really important, especially as many of us, and I'm committed to community service, so I know how important it is to be connected to mission, purpose, and values. I think I learned a lot about working with people from different places and different backgrounds from the work that I do in my community service life. And so I would definitely, one, get connected. Two, I would kind of do a SWOT analysis. And so the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And I would try to determine, you don't have to have it etched in stone at this point, but try to determine some things that I might would be interested in. And then go out to LinkedIn. In today's environment of social media, you could almost put in a job title or a job description of what it is you really want to do and look at the skills that are being requested just to give you kind of a heads up guide on what employers are asking for. And then you can run that by your state society and there always will be leaders who are willing to mentor you or give you some guidance on what you should consider. Now, keeping in mind that that role that you're watching will probably continue to evolve and change but it will give you a place to start from. And so as you're looking at that, you'll notice in some instances, it's digital everything because accounting might be what we do, but technology is how we do it. And so the people who got ahead in previous years, they got ahead because they were the smartest or they were able to memorize the standards or guidances or regulations in the age of machines. And our fourth industrial revolution, the environment we are in right now, I will say that there increasingly will be more and more chatbots and robots. Siri, Alexa, and Google are just some examples of AI and intelligent type voice activated, you know, devices that will assist consumers, clients, and businesses as they determine, hey, you know, Google, do you know the answer to this? So now it doesn't have to be in your head anymore, not as much. And so what now will be important? Your ability to inspire, your ability to motivate, your ability to look at quantifiable data, qualitative data, and make a recommendation. So the AI will give you some recommendations because your transactions will be using robotic process automation. A lot of the transactions that we do today will increasingly be automated. The manual journal entries will be reduced to a dramatic point. And now they're looking for leaders who will be able to make decisions about how we maintain competitive advantage. How do we avoid disruption? 
What do we do in order to maximize our standing, our responsiveness in the marketplace with our clients, with our providers, with our supply chain? And that's going to take some different skills that many of us have felt comfortable with because some of us may be individuals that like the numbers. You like being behind the scenes, but now you're going to have to come from behind the scenes and take your seat at the table. And that means storytelling. That means looking at numbers that look like, you know, two columns at the bottom and they're like, what does this mean? You're going to have to give the so what. Why does this matter? So what we're doing, what do you see in these numbers? So if I have a product that I am currently producing and you start to see softness in those numbers over the last three quarters, you're starting to see that in one particular territory in the country, they're not buying as much. Would you notice it? Or would you be able to dig into that environment and say, hey, guys, it's because in this environment, we, there's a new rule, a new regulation, new guideline. There's something going on with how people go to market and we might need to do some changes here or recommending really tough decisions like we don't need to produce this product anymore. Now, if you're in public practice, which is what I would hope all of you would consider and hope you will stay because we need you protecting the public interest. We need you maintaining quality. So I'm definitely a big fan of public practice to the extent that you can. It means also that to avoid and minimize outrageous audit risk, you have to be able to ask really good questions. And being able to ask really good questions means being well-informed about the environment that you are auditing or you're doing taxes in, because you can't ask what you don't know. And so you're going to have to be up to speed also on technology so that you know what the risks are, so that you're aware that cyber breach, what the implications could be inside that environment. If your client is paying attention to the environment around them, there are iconic companies that have gotten in big trouble because they thought they had more time, they thought they could wait. And then what happens is, this is the good and the bad of it, we do such an amazing job usually in every single thing that we do as CPAs that when something goes wrong with the business and we're the auditors or we're the tax providers or we were doing advisory services, someone's going to say, who's the CPA? Because we always get called to the carpet, it seems like, when something is going wrong inside an environment. And so in order to make sure we're doing our due diligence, we have to ask the really tough questions that demonstrate professional skepticism and it demonstrates our professional competence in that particular area, which means that there's no avoiding discussions about blockchain. There's no avoiding discussions about machine learning or big data because you have to be able and willing to ask your clients what are they doing about that as well. And I can certainly tell you that audit committees are asking those probing questions. The final thing I would say is that as you do your SWAT, and that would be the second thing. And the fourth thing is looking at technologies and making sure that you're staying abreast of the world around you and that you're paying attention to the competitive environment that your clients and supply chain and your business partners are in. I would say the final thing is to be willing to actually act on it. And so if you're someone who's a little nervous about public speaking, if you're someone that really doesn't like to ask for help, but there might be some areas that are difficult for you. You have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. We have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
And to the extent that your leaders see that you're eager, that your instructors see that you're eager, that you're working in an environment where professionals who've given you opportunities to be an intern are willing and able to see that you're eager, they will help you. And I can promise you that we need every single CPA and accountant that we can get in our profession. We speak the language of business. We are critical to the capital markets, critical to the functionality of businesses and communities that are dependent upon those businesses, as well as very, very importantly, protecting the public interest. And so I just can't say enough about how in all of those areas, someone helped me and someone also gave me, I would say, the ability to pay it forward. And in turn, what I do today is that I really like to pay it forward as well. I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> gosh, this is a good conversation. We could talk about career planning for a long time. You, yes, you we can. Some wonderful insights. You touched on paying it forward a little bit there. And actually, that is one of the things I want to circle back to because I do want to be respectful of your time. And we have a few questions that I end every podcast with. So before we get to that, I was curious, I've held some positions at the local level. I'm a past president of our local CPA society and held a few other positions. And I always found that after I filled the roles, you know, after the term was up, I always look back and thought, you know, there were a few other things I would have liked to have accomplished. It seems to fly by, you know? (laughs) I was curious, is there anything else, you know, looking back on your time as chair of AICPA, is there anything else you would have liked to have tackled? Or if you had more time in the role, you know, what is something else that you may have worked more on? It's interesting you should say that, Mark, because I am actually on the board until the end of May. And so I still have time, not a lot of time, but I still have time (laughs) up to the last minute. And I can tell you that I get a lot of speaking requests. So I'm very grateful that people think I have something to say, especially as it relates to my career, being in leadership positions. How did I get my seat at the table? And what did I do about it when I got there? But so I spend some time at conferences talking about technology and the benefits and how we need to leverage it. I talk about being a mom with two teenage sons and what that means and work-life family integration. And I met my husband as a sophomore in college. And so that was, it's been awesome to have a partner who's working with me as I pursue my heart's desire, which is really working and helping people and serving others. I believe we're all servant leaders when you serve and you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the people around you because not everyone has, you know, the same role models in the environment. I end up speaking to business and industry audiences because I'm in business and industry now. And for many of us who are in business and industry, we have, and I have colleagues who have said, oh, when I left the profession. And I said, well, wait a minute. What do you mean when you left the profession? I don't think you've left the profession when you're in business and industry. I just think you're in a different part of the profession. And so I really enjoy talking to CFOs and finance leaders but also making sure that the people in business and industry, our colleagues know that they're still critical, that we need them on the front line. They're inside the organization, especially the internal auditors. They are supporting the functions of making sure we have good quality inside the organization, making it a little bit easier when external auditors have to come, when they come in. 
So we need them. And so we just need everyone who is a CPA to understand why it's so important. And then, of course, for people who are debating whether or not they're going to be a CPA, why I believe credentials are huge and why it's a differentiator in the marketplace. And it just demonstrates that resilience. It demonstrates persistence and commitment to excellence. It demonstrates so many different things by just having those three letters behind our name. So I end up talking about the value of that. I also talk to young CPAs. And so I'm 48, Mark, but I was 46 when I was the chair. And so it's interesting. It's kind of not that young, but young in the big scheme of things, I guess. So I've been to a lot of colleges and universities. And as a matter of fact, I'm sure I'll be going to quite a few more before my term actually ends and speaking with Beta Alpha Psi and National Association of Black Accountants or Alpha and Ascend, which I'm looking forward to getting to their meetings as well. I think it's just important that everyone sees themselves at the table, that they know that I would say what my parents told me, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Part of the reason that we're so special, part of the reason that we're differentiated, part of the reason that we add so much value is that it's not easy. And so there will be some challenges, but I would say don't change the goal change the plan. And so because I end up speaking at all of those different groups, I think I have an opportunity to really get to know some of the things that our members and our future bosses are looking for. And hopefully I convey that in everything that I do, because I think it's really, really, really important. I love that. Don't change the goal, change the plan. (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure that I'm respectful of your time. And I do have three questions that I don't like to cut short. So I want to to get to those. I end every podcast with the same three questions. And the first one's usually the easiest for our guest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? To look out in the audience when I'm doing my chairman speech and to see my sons. And I might get emotional, but to see my sons and to have them see me, because to them, I'm just mom. And that's when I think they really got it and they understood how important it is to go to school, get good grades, and that it pays off and hard work pays off. And I can tell them, I used to tell them stories about how when I was younger, I wore really thick glasses, Mark, and how this little boy said, you can see the future. (laughs) And so I had a line in my speech that said, yes, I can see the future. And it's really bright. And they told me they were so proud of me. And so that was like one of my proudest moments. Oh, that is special. Just in general, what age group are we talking? Are they teenagers, college? You know, yes, my sons old? are now 14 and 16. And so that was two years ago for them. So, yes. Wow. Wow. That is special. That is special. You're right, because to them, it's mom. And exactly. That. Wow. Wow. Talk about yeah, being a role model. That's beautiful. Well, the second question, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course, because that's really what we're looking for. But the bigger, the better. We like the big ones. (laughs) (laughs) I've made where I would err, you know, the most is around people. And I think that there have been several instances in general where I really thought that someone would do and overachieve what they said they would, and they did not. And because I tried to not micromanage, it really fell back on me as a leader, because I think leaders take responsibility. 
you have to own it and you own the decision. You can't make an excuse. And I think there have been quite a few instances of that, but I don't know if I would change it because I'm going to tell you that I believe in people. And so that's my weakness. It's my kryptonite, if you will, because I believe that someone has to give you a chance. And for as many times as I've made that mistake with someone who really didn't pull it through like I thought they were, I've had people maybe 20 times as many do an amazing job. And I think that I'd rather stay on the side of, hey, someone gave me a chance because it's not lost on me, Mark, that as a young minority female, what I'm doing and what I've done, unfortunately, in so many ways, people could think would be impossible. And I've met people from other countries in particular who would just say, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you're doing what you're doing or you've done what you've done. And so it's not lost on me that there are people who really believe in hard work and perseverance and work ethic. I learned that from my dad as a child, watching him work in a manufacturing plant. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My parents were married almost 50 years. They met when my dad went off to basic training before he went for Vietnam. Then they were pen pals in Vietnam. And so I just learned a lot from the ground up inside my own environment. And I know that if not me, who? And if not now, when? And so it's a mistake that I've made. I try to be a little more discerning. People will ask me for mentorship and I'm happy to do it. Whenever, if they want to text me, they can email me. I'm accessible on LinkedIn. People have said, Kimberly, why don't you get someone to read your email? No, I won't because I want to be accessible. I want to pay it forward to whom much is given, much is required. And I understand that and I'm not going to take it lightly at all. So sometimes it'll take me longer to respond because I am reading my own email. I am reading what people send to me on LinkedIn because I think it's really, really important. And I want to make sure I pay it forward. And if sometimes I get disappointed by people along the way, then I think that's just part for the course. I'll pick myself up, get my feelings brushed off and say, okay, maybe I'll find the next one. But I'm looking to help the next Kimberly Ellison Taylor. I'm looking to help to motivate to inspire, to help lead, to empower the next person that needs someone to believe that they can do it the way someone believed in me. Because otherwise, we would only go to the same people and we're only going to get what we've always gotten. So we've got to believe that people can do it. The other mistake I already talked about, Mark, and that was when I failed the CPA exam because I thought that I could read it on my own (laughs) and I thought that I didn't need a review course. Well, two mistakes. (laughs) You are making a difference in the world, and thank you. This Wow, that's a good story. And I'm glad you brought up failing the CPA exam again, too, because I do think it's important (laughs) for people to hear that, you know, that you were chair of AICPA, and you still made it, you know? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I can't tell you the colleagues that after I finished saying that, that we're walking out the door, that's a Kimberly, I'm so glad you said that. I failed, too. And all I can think is, well, when I was telling my story, where were you raising your hand? (laughs) No one else was raising their hand. (laughs) But I'm telling my story because, of course, unless you tell people, no one knows that you failed. (laughs) So it's always so interesting. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? 
I would say I've, I've received so much good advice. I just think mentorship, I've stretched it to, I don't know, to a exponential level. I get mentored every day, grocery store, driving. I think you get mentored in an organic way. And it's not always the, we're going to meet on Tuesday at Panera Bread. I just think it's just different. So I want to be a listening post. I want to learn every day, everywhere, and every way possible. And so I get a lot of really good advice, sometimes from my son, who when I'm talking about working out, my son will say, well, mom, just go downstairs and get on the elliptical. So like, okay, you know, because I'm struggling with how to get the fitness in. And sometimes you get really good advice from your son. But career advice, I think the great advice I got was, Kimberly, just be yourself. Because in stepping into the chairman role, I think I was going to be marked like, hi, I'm Kimberly Ellison Taylor. Instead of, hi, Kimberly Ellison Taylor. I'm excited to be here because I am excited. I think it's an opportunity. But I was fully planning, Mark, to step into a box of that was of my own making. And the nominations chair, at Bill Baloff, said to me, Kimberly, we want the real you. If we wanted you to be anyone else, we knew who you were when we nominated you. We know that you're kind of, I think of it as evangelism. In that role, I was the chief marketing officer for the profession. And if I'm not excited, who would be excited? And so everywhere I went, we tried to convey my enthusiasm, my excitement about the opportunities, all of the amazing things we do, the leaders in the profession, all of the volunteers. There are complex issues, to be sure. And it won't always be easy. We'll win some, we'll lose some. But at the end of the day, we're still adding value. We're still protecting and promoting the public interest. We're still supporting our members. We're still supporting our clients. We're still supporting businesses in the United States and around the world. And when he said, Kimberly, be yourself, I think I felt a wave of relief come over me because I thought I needed to be like what I thought the other chairs did. And he was like, no, you make the chair what you want it to be. And so I did. That That is really some good advice. I heard someone else say it that, you know, when we're not ourselves, we not only are cheating ourselves, but we're cheating the world because we're uniquely qualified to be us. And so if we're anything else, then we're not being real. So, Mark, I'm going to add that to my list. No, I'm adding that to my list of good advice. So thank you for that. (laughs) Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time. For the audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited the website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Kimberly's episode. We have the show notes for all our other episodes as well. We've had some really, really interesting and unique ones here recently. That website is whereaccountantsgo.com. We have a blog there. We have some publications, a couple books as well. So a lot of career-related content. On that note, Kimberly, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave with the listening audience? I would tell them that the sky is the limit, but there are footprints on the moon. So go get it. Live your best life. Thank you. That is well said. Beautiful. Well, thank you to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.